Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today, we bring you the story of the lost NBA teams. This will be an occasional series as it will take a few episodes to review all of the NBA teams that have gone out of business. And the reason that I wanted to do a series like this was simply to answer a question that I had been thinking about. And that question is this. Whatever happened to all of those NBA teams that have gone out of business? What were their stories and why did they go out of business? So this episode series is really my way of addressing my own curiosity about the lost teams of the NBA. I also wanted to take time to show that the NBA was not always swimming in money like it is today. The first 15 years or so of the league were extremely tough financially. The owner of the Boston Celtics, Walter Brown, once had to mortgage his own house in order to pay the players because the team was so short on funds, and he was not the only owner that had to borrow money in order to pay the players. Often, the teams were not selling enough tickets to cover their own expenses. Over the 78-year history of the NBA, there have been 15 teams that participated in at least one season in the NBA and then went out of business, and we will cover three teams per episode for a total of five monthly episodes. Now, in fairness, it has been a long time since an NBA team had to fold and close down their operations. The final team to fold was the Baltimore Bullets in 1955. So, all 15 teams that came and went through the NBA did so during the first nine seasons of the NBA. Now, that should give you a sense of how unstable the NBA was when it first started. Professional basketball in the 1940s was not as popular as it is today. College basketball was far more popular and made a lot more money for the arenas, schools, and the promoters. In the 1930s and 1940s, Madison Square Garden in New York used to regularly host triple-header college games. They would invite many of the best teams in the country to play on a Saturday triple-header. For just a single ticket, a fan could see six of the best teams in the country play. But if you were to set up a triple header of NBA teams back in the 1940s, you may not even fill the arena. People were that uninterested in the professional version of the game. And I have talked about this in previous episodes about how it was practically a miracle that the NBA even still exists today. They had to have a lot of things go their way. They had to survive each of those early seasons by the skin of their teeth, financially speaking, to continue to operate as a league. Now, they are a multi-billion dollar global sports enterprise. And back in those early days, not every team made it. In fact, for the very first season of the NBA back in the fall of 1946, they had 11 teams for that first season. Only three of those teams still exist today, and those three original teams that are still playing are the Boston Celtics, the New York Knicks, and the Golden State Warriors, who began life in the NBA as the Philadelphia Warriors. All of the other current teams joined the league after it had already started. So, I wanted to talk about those teams that did not survive. I am going to start with the teams that were part of the first season of the NBA but no longer exist. Now, before I keep going, I need to be clear about something. 
For the first three seasons of the NBA, it was known as the BAA, or Basketball Association of America. But the league changed its name for the fourth season when it merged with the old NBL, but it is still the same organization. So, for the purposes of simplicity, I will refer to the league, even the early years, as the NBA. So, here we go. The first team I want to share with you is the Washington Capitals. They were founded by a businessman named Mike Uline, and it made sense for him to be part of the original owners group. He owned an arena in Washington, D.C., and it was called the Uline Arena, named after himself. Being part of the NBA and having a team would help fill up the open dates in his arena schedule. That was his primary motivation for joining the league. Now, even today, every arena and stadium wants to book as many events as possible. That is how the facility makes money. When arena sit empty? That means lost revenue. Anyway, Mike Uline jumped in as part of the first season of the NBA, but he did not understand basketball very well. So he knew that he needed some help. He needed someone who understood basketball and could be the general manager and head coach. Well, as luck would have it, there was a local high school coach who cold called Uline asking to fill the open position as head coach of the new team, and Uline liked what this high school coach had to say. He seemed very knowledgeable and capable, so Uline hired this guy with only five years of high school coaching experience to be the head coach and general manager of an NBA team. And that high school coach was Red Auerbach. He convinced Uline to let him be the coach and the general manager and have the final word on all player decisions. For that very first season, the Washington Capitals had the best record in the league at 49-11. and However, they were upset in the semifinals of the playoffs. Red Auerbach coached for a total of three seasons, and the Capitals always finished at or near the top of the standings. Auerbach got everything he could out of his players. But after three years, Uline felt that Auerbach had underperformed since they had this great team but could not win the championship. So... He fired Auerbach. For the fourth season, they installed Bob Fierick as the new head coach, and they had a losing season under Fierick, so he was replaced after just one year with Bones McKinney. In that fifth season, the team went into the tank and finished dead last. The team was hemorrhaging money, and after just five years, Mike Uline had to make the tough decision to close down the team. He still owned the arena, but the basketball team was a huge drag on his bottom line. Now, I wonder what would have happened if he had kept Red Auerbach as his head coach. Maybe it would have been the Capitals who won all those championships and the Celtics that went out of business. Of course, we will never know. Now, this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with the Providence Steamrollers. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. 
sports history fans. I'm Ross from the podcast Pigskin Tales. You're about to jump into another thrilling sports history moment. But first, let's dive into today's sponsor, just in time for the holiday season. Introducing Art of Words, the brainchild of word artist Dan Duffy from Philadelphia. Dan meticulously crafts stunning images by handwriting relevant words from some of the greatest sports moments in time. These unique budget-friendly illustrations are the perfect gift, sparking cherished memories and capturing hearts. Choose from city skylines, sports, history, and musicians to find a piece for everyone. And here's the exciting part. For that sports fanatic in your life, gift them a piece of their favorite team or player's history. Art of Words tells a compelling story. Explore collegiate stadiums, each meticulously crafted with every football victory etched into words. Or venture into baseball stadiums, handwritten with every player from the team's illustrious history. My favorite on the site is Bryce Harper 2021 MVP year. Because I'm a big stats guy, I think that's one of the coolest things ever. Check it out! Don't wait! Order a print today for yourself and your loved one this holiday season. Transform your wall into a gallery of captivating art and surprise your family and friends with a print of their own. Use code SHN15 at artofwords.com for a 15% discount on your order in November and December. Visit Art of Words, where words magically transform into stunning art evoking cherished memories and touching the hearts of those who you care about. Again, use the code SHN15 for 15% off at artofwords.com. Welcome back to the show, and let us continue with the story of the early NBA teams that went out of business. The next team I want to share is the Providence Steamrollers. Now, they were founded by Lou Pieri in Providence, Rhode Island. Pieri already owned the Rhode Island Reds hockey team, and he thought that having a basketball team would be really good for business. After all, Pieri had played and coached basketball at Brown University. He felt like he knew what he was doing, at least compared to the other owners. Unfortunately, there was something happening with the city of Providence that was completely outside of Pieri's control. The city of Providence had already begun to shrink in population after World War II. Providence was the location of a United States naval operations base during the war, and that brought a lot of business, manufacturing, and growth to the city of Providence. However, once the war ended, the U.S. Navy shut down the base and left, and so did the businesses that supported the Navy. The city slowly began shrinking and is still today only two-thirds the size of what it was during World War II. So the steamrollers had a shrinking fan base. The team also had trouble attracting the best talent. Since salaries were relatively equal across the NBA, the good players decided to go play in Boston, New York, or Philadelphia. The other thing that hurt Providence was its proximity to Boston. On a good day, you can drive from Providence to Boston in just about an hour. In other words, they were competing with the Celtics for essentially the same fan base, even though they are technically in different states. And it was no fun to watch a game at the Providence Arena either. For basketball games, they placed the basketball floor directly on the hockey ice and then set up folding chairs around the court. Now, that is not unusual in and of itself. Arenas all over the country do that today. However, today, the arena staff will place a layer of insulation on top of the ice and then place the basketball court on top of the insulation. 
but they did not have that in Providence back in the 1940s. The basketball floor would get ice cold during games. The courtside fans were freezing. Even the players on the bench would fold up towels and place them under their feet for insulation. The whole thing was just a mess, and they were not finding success in the games either. After just three losing seasons and four head coaches, Pieri had to close shop. He could not continue losing money on the basketball team. And that is how the Providence Steamrollers disappeared from the NBA landscape. Today, the people of Rhode Island are primarily Celtics fans, as the city of Boston is really not that far away. And so that brings me to the last team for today, the Toronto Huskies. They actually have the distinction of hosting the very first NBA game ever. On opening night of the very first season in 1946, there was only one game on the schedule, and it was the New York Knicks at the Toronto Huskies. That is where the first NBA action happened north of the border. The Huskies had a guy on the team named George Nostrand, who was 6 foot 10 or 208 centimeters. In order to promote the game, the Huskies took out a newspaper advertisement that said that any fan taller than Nostrand could get in for free. Of course, there was nobody who was able to capitalize on that offer. Any fan taller than 6 foot 10 had a better chance of being on the team than sitting in the stands. The Huskies really struggled that year. They lost to the Knicks on opening night and continued losing to everyone else too. They finished the season with a record of 22 and 38. The team was just completely disorganized. For that very first season, the NBA teams kept only 10 players on the roster at any given time. And just like today, players were cut, new players were signed, trades were made, and in total, the Huskies had 20 different players suit up and play for them that season. Now, there is no way to get any sort of consistency or team culture when players are coming through like the locker room had a revolving door on it. And not only were they constantly changing their player personnel, they went through four head coaches in that first season. Three of those head coaches all came within the first 16 games of the season. Now that is chaos. However, let me be fair. Two of those four head coaches were players. In an effort to save money, the team decided to have one of the players double as a head coach. And that did not work out too well. It really messes with team chemistry when one of the players is suddenly the coach. Ed Sadowski and Dick Fitzgerald were the two players that coached a few games. Sadowski lasted 12 games before he said that he did not want to do it anymore. Fitzgerald only lasted three games before he quit as coach. They brought in a regular coach who only lasted one game once he saw how dysfunctional the team was. At that point, a man by the name of Robert Rolfe took over and coached the last 44 games of the season. But he hated it too. He was not even a basketball coach in the proper sense of the term. He was a baseball coach who had previously coached a little bit of basketball. At the end of the season, Rolf found a job as the manager of the Detroit Tigers of Major League Baseball, and he never looked back. And that makes him one of the very few men to be the head coach or manager in two different major professional sports leagues. At the end of that season, the team realized that they had lost nearly $200,000. In today, in 2024, that would be like losing $2.7 million. But these were not rich men to begin with. Losing that kind of money was an enormous hit to the financial bottom line. So, after just one season, the Toronto Huskies folded their operations. It would be nearly 50 years before Canada had another NBA team when the Toronto Raptors and Vancouver Grizzlies began play in 1995. 
So that is it for the first three teams that played in the NBA and no longer exist. Join us next time when we share the story of Pete Newell. He is a Hall of Fame coach who was loved and respected by the entire coaching community. You would be hard-pressed to find anyone who could say a bad thing about Pete Newell. He was genuinely a good man and an amazing coach. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories in the past. Take care and see you soon.